It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. I've been down in Westminster for the state opening of Parliament, although technically not because there's no head of state. Uh, the Queen not, didn't make it, Prince Charles did, so did I, so did a lovely panel of guests. Coming up on our big thing today, we've been unpacking the Queen's very first state opening of Parliament in 1952, taking a look at some of the issues which arose then. That's with Patrick McGuire in just a moment, but first, it's time for this. Meet the Cerberus of columnists. The Janus of journalism and the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Finkelvich with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. Yes, 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 yes. It's that time of the week where we're joined by Daniel Finkelstein. Morning, Danny. Good morning. And David Aronovich. Morning, David. Good morning. Sleeveless vests on adult men. I'd ban them. Is that what and you would include in the Queen's speech if given the... I, I would, and I would also ban the phrase the unmistakable sounds of Dua Lipa. <laughs> I would ban that phrase. <laughs> well, I think we could probably live with... But I don't think either of those are things that I would uh, die in a ditch for. Daddy, if, if, you, if you were reading the Queen's speech today, what law would you try and sneak in? Oh. I would introduce a Dua Lipa repeal bill to repeal all of David's petty regulations. <laughs> Typical House a, of Lords, in... trying to overrule the, uh, the will of the people. <laughs> <laughs> so, Danny, are you, are you beaming into us live from the House of Lords today? No, I'm not. I'm actually not in the laws this morning. I have been to the um, opening of state opening of Parliament quite a number of times, but today is my column writing day at the Times, and nothing gets in the way of that. How does it work? Do you have to sort of get your yeah, name you have to have a hat? So, you, no, you can go, but um, you you can go if you're a peer. But um, the, in order to have a the ermine, you either have to win in a ballot, uh, literally. Uh, so you sort of win an ermine cloak in a raffle because the, the house <laughs> has a number of these cloaks. I did once have a, a Times reader actually, who was a hereditary peer, once very kindly sent me a an ermine robe to wear for one of these occasions after I complained that. Um, they cost 185 pounds for a morning, and um, he um, and he he brilliantly um, sent me one. And when I returned it through mail's boxes, etc., the, the woman in the shop said, "Oh, look, a Santa costume." Um, so uh, yes, you go, and then what you do is you 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 sit, and it's quite a nice 
One thing is quite nice, I find, is that you get to sit in the House on either side with a mixture of peers from different political parties. And one of the things I like most about the Lords is that you meet people from different political parties and, you know, that you're able to um, socialise with them and talk to them about their politics and everything. And I was with, uh, for example, Doreen Lawrence, somebody that I haven't met uh, before, and I felt that I really enjoyed doing that. Um, so, David, what do you make of today? We can see the, uh, I can see just across the road, the band has struck up. Uh, we can hear them in the background. Inside, there were various um, uh, people, the, the great and the good, gathering in their in their finery. Do, do you enjoy the uh, Queen's speech? No, I don't. And I mean, it, it's quite funny. And I'm not, I, I don't want to be rude, Matt, but I mean, the, the filling that people like you have to do before the speech. I mean, you've just had to tell us that Norman Lamont was talking to Kate Hoey. <laughs> Don't put yourself down, David. You're not mere filling. No, no, you could have had an extra minute with me and Danny rather than telling us about Norman Lamont meeting Kate. And then you're kind of the band strikes up and the band strikes down and so on. But I, th I mean, I think you do a great job. You're much better than all the other people are doing this, um, uh, etc. But um, I'm not, I, I, I see the value of uh, ritual and uh, pageantry and so on. And I understand why people like it. Uh, I would quite like to separate it from the business of assessing how the government what the government's program is and how it's going to do it and i do wonder i mean especially now that we don't the queen is not going to be giving the queen's speech so it's going to be the prince's speech uh, and so on i do kind of wonder about the purpose of the queen's speech um uh, you're told it can't be anything to do with taxation of finance because that's all in the budget um some of the measures just seem to be um retreads of what the government had already put in the queen's speech but the lords had amended and now they're bringing it back because they don't agree with the lords amendment uh, and so on uh, and then quite a lot of it is pr is very much kind of pre-announced fluff really about kind of you know they're going to repeal this uh, regulation and that regulation oh i can hear the band has just struck up Matt, the band has struck up again for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, think, I think i think it's like the oscars david if you go on too long i'll get the band to play <laughs> <laughs> david i suppose <laughs> Uh, go on, go on, Daddy. Go on, Daddy. David, I suppose this is uh, the reason why there's a strand to my <laughs> politics that is conservative, that isn't in your politics. I mean, the purpose of the Queen's speech is uh, that the government has to have a legislative programme that is passed by Parliament in order to continue governing. And the in a, in a, actually, when we um, when we have a uh, after the next general election, when a quite likely outcome is that we'll have a minority government with the Labour Party being dependent on the support of the SNP, um, but not in a coalition with them, uh, actually the, the creation and then passing of the Queen's speech will become an important political occasion. And now obviously the fact that it's done by the monarch is the ritualistic element of it. Um, and everyone always looks for a theme for the Queen's speech, but that isn't the right way to look at it. What this is, is a a sort of brokered collection of bills that from different government departments, each of which demands some time and everyone will be allowed some part of the legislative programme for their department and then they'll decide upon their priorities. So what goes behind the Queen's speech, which is the brokering of this, uh, the division of time, the decision by departments on their legislative priorities and what then goes on after or, or sort of during an, uh, uh, the Queen's speech debate and after the delivery of the Queen's speech, which is the passing of the government legislative programme, both of those have significant political and constitutional purposes. Are you convinced, Sorry, I, David? I, I... 
No, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not. I'm not particularly. All that. All that sounds uh, really good, but I can't help noticing that in the past, quite a lot of stuff that was in the Queen's speech doesn't actually ever come forward for legislation. Quite a lot of stuff that wasn't in the Queen's speech does come forward for legislation. So, except in the circumstances that Dan is talking about, which is showing how the negotiation between, let's say, two or three parties who are, who are supporting a minority government might work out in practice, I don't really think it quite works like that. I see, I see the case for a debate about the government's direction and programme. Don't really see why it should necessarily be linked to something called the Queen's well, Speech. You could and, do it in another way, of course. And, 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 and nor is it don't. necessarily even about the government's priorities, because the government's uh, immediate priorities are more likely to be set out in terms of the budget. So, um, uh, I think I, I, I think Danny makes a, 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 a very good and serious case, but I suspect that it's also just about the business of turning up in or not in the ermine and being part sure, of the kind of sure, grand look, process. Sure, I. I don't deny that there's a, a ritualistic government and, you know, the whole of the House of Parliament is, is ritualistic um, because it, uh, you know, it's created in order to create a sort of strong uh, sense of what Parliament is. And David doesn't like that element of it. We've had this discussion before. I think there's an advantage to it. Um, and a lot of this will depend on whether you think the monarchy is a good thing or not, um, because, uh, again, um, that is that is a purely symbolic um, way of uh, projecting constitutional stability. Again, I have a, uh, a, a belief in that. It's, we have just different politics on that. Um, but I, you know, but you could do this another way. Of course, you could. But this seems to be a perfectly reasonable way to do it, even though it's got a lot of um, sort of what you might think is unnecessary ritual behind it. But I, I think Danny, ritual is necessary. But Danny, why isn't it the Queen's budget then? Well, the the, the Queen will announce that there'll be a finance bill. Um, the uh, and and it is the and it is and it is the Queen's budget. But the you know obviously we have we have uh, the, the there's only that's only one part of the government's priorities. The other part of the government's priorities is are things like the decision to have a Bill of Rights um, revision bill. Right, that's not a budgetary issue. It is a matter of priority. The Justice Department has, in my view, incorrectly chosen that as a legislative priority over many other things that it could be doing. That's important to learn. And this is the moment when we learn it. It's not the only important thing, because we also have a lot of ritual about them. We also have a lot of ritual around the uh, budget itself, don't we? So, uh, you know, it's not the only occasion, but it's an important occasion. I don't, I don't really see what's wrong with it, basically. Is it, is it, does, it, does the fact that there's all this, this pomp on oh, the band start again, and, uh, and the fact it's, it's the Queen, or in this case, Prince Charles, reading it out, it, it's, it sort of elevates it to a status it doesn't necessarily deserve. That actually, if it was Boris Johnson who got up in the House of Commons and read it out, everyone could point out that there wasn't very much in it, or there were lots of broken promises. Whereas, whereas all of the pomp and the, the, the sort of state event slightly lets them off the hook a bit, doesn't it? Well, I don't think it's going to lead. In, I mean, I don't think it's going to lead anyone uh, to to favour the uh, content of the Queen's speech who doesn't favour it beforehand. But yeah, there, there there are in my there is in my view an advantage to. Um, the relationship between Parliament and the monarchy. I think there is a there is an advantage to the idea that it is the Queen's government, um, and there's an advantage to the idea that um, there's something that is between uh, the existing political um, group, as it were, and the state 
right, that the state is something different from the collection of politicians that are running the government. I think that separation is a good thing um, and that we would there's a lot we would lose if we didn't have it. Uh, just because I know, David, you've been closely following this, just to keep you updated, Prince Charles has left Buckingham Palace and is now in a car heading up the Mall. Uh, just well, I'm tell in... us, tell us when you tell us when you see them. I will. Uh, I might so stand on, and on don't my chair give a, and give them a yeah. And don't give us any. And, and I'm also wondering what on earth has happened to Norman Lamont now? Has he made it all the way to Parliament with <laughs> well, Kate Perry? I'll get so, No, no, he's already in there. Norman Lamont's in there. He's sitting on the red benches. My yeah, concern keep, keep is. Up. They need to move the band before Prince Charles gets here, otherwise there's going to be a right kerfuffle. Um, and there's Lord Lebedev. I want to know if Lord Lebedev is there. Because this is presumably is one of those occasions that he um, that he was so hospitable in order to be able to enjoy. Well, we'll 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 keep an eye out for that. At all times, we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's uh, let's move on and talk about uh, Keir Starmer. Why not? Uh, for a moment, it's all got a bit of it. Well, I know we've talked about this uh, several times about. Uh, it, the, the, the equivalence or otherwise between what he's accused of doing and what happened in, in number 10. But we've now got this very, we're now in a slightly strange position, uh, Danny, where two police forces could essentially completely change the face of British politics. That, um, well, I think, uh, yeah. The Met could remove the Prime Minister and Durham Police could remove the leader of the opposition. I think both the Met and Durham Police have put themselves in a ridiculous position by giving in to uh, political pressure uh, and launching, opera, uh, making operational decisions purely on the basis of political argument by different uh, groups and political factions. I think this was a big error. I do, um, you know, as listeners will know, I do think Boris Johnson should resign over the uh, very many social events that were held under his premiership. We knew that without the police's intervention. I don't think the police's intervention has been helpful. It's delayed yeah. everything. And I, I suspect that Keir Starmer has worked out that it's unlikely that Durham Police will issue him with a fine. Um, that's why he's taking the, this risk. It's actually quite a politically quite a shrewd thing uh, to do, um, but with a, because it has a risk, but the yeah. risk is you know containable. Um, but the, the people, so his actions, I completely get. Um, the thing that, and, and I, I would say this, I, I, I was previously of the view that what he did was straightforwardly definitely not a breach of the rules and we didn't even need to discuss it it's obvious that we didn't know the full detail of it actually and so i can see why um it caused more it can't the debate of it went on the way that it was portrayed and the way that i understood it was not exactly how it was actually um but nevertheless i still think it's highly unlikely that it was a little turnout to attract a fixed penalty notice and so his risk is worth taking but why durham police put themselves in a stupid position of making a judgment of this kind i have no idea david what do you make of it all i think danny's completely right i mean he's absolutely right it, 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 do, do you recall uh matt that this was all supposed to be solved by the sue gray report never mind the metropolitan police i've got the my bell i bought the bell so I, a, a very mention of sue gray i can ring the bell Oh, right, gets to the Sue Gray Bell. By the way, has Sue Gray gone into the, to the to, to the Houses of Parliament yet? Have you seen her walking there? Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, if you see her, say, as soon as she gets on with her report, the better, and we publish this report, the better, because that was supposed to be the thing that determined the future of the Prime Minister. Not, of course, to him resigning, because 
I don't think he's the resigning kind, uh, and so on. But was going to be the was going to blow the you know shoot start the firing gun or whatever it is that you do on the leadership election to replace him because the Tory MPs wouldn't like it. And actually, it's what was in the, it's what's in the Sue Gray's report that marks the difference between what Boris Johnson was up to and what Sakia Starmer wasn't up to. Uh, and we haven't had it. We haven't had it. Yet. Yeah, and we haven't had it yet. Partially because what Danny said, because we've had the Met Police instead. <laughs> I would say this. The, 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 uh, what Boris Johnson did, which I think straightforwardly was a resigning matter, it, the, the, isn't a problem for Keir Starmer. He can simply say this is one event that's entirely different in nature. I think the Rishi yeah. Sunak thinks harder for him. Right, That was one, um, one incident and he called for um, uh, him to go on that one incident. I think it'll be harder for him to it would be harder for him to have a fixed penalty notice and argue it was different from Rishi Sunak's fixed penalty notice. Just I do to, think that would be harder. Just to interrupt you uh, both, uh, because Prince Charles is a I can see Prince Charles's car uh, pulling up outside uh, the Houses of Parliament, uh, literally just across uh, the road from me here. Uh, I think that means, I mean, clearly what we don't have, because it's all been uh, slightly scaled down, we don't have the carriages and and so forth uh but uh, the crown is here uh, i think there's the the the, the um what's, what, what's, the, what's the long thing with the ball on the end called scepter. The scepter. Scepter. The scepter. Scepter. i wanted to say orb but i realized that i mean i'm aware that i'm no david dimbleby um uh but yeah there, so in fact there are two sort of maces uh, sticking out um <laughs> so the car's pulled up outside and they've got a mace sticking out of each window uh, a bit Matt, like Matt, Matt, you're supposed to do this breathily, for God's sake. You're supposed to say, and now the state crown of St. Well, the, 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 is the making car, its I entrance the the, so the on the purple cushion held by the aquarium. Yes, well, that That's is all happening. That is all happening. But there are two maces sticking out the window, a bit like somebody going to the dump and they can't shut their boot. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're, can, we're not made for this, are we? I really? can see so the, crown, the crown, the uh, the imperial uh, state crown has been taken out of the car now and is now being carried uh, in. Where's Kate, where's Kate Hurry <laughs> in this? Yeah, and what about the clown you just mentioned? Where is the prime <laughs> minister? Cr the crown, the crown. Come on, come on. We're not going to win any awards for this, are we? Um, so that's now been carried in through the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the sovereigns. So they've taken the crown out of the car, but the car is now pulling in. Oh, no, the crown is still in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see the brake lights? Are the brake lights on? Did they? Yeah. yeah the Did they is, indicate? So if it, the door is. If open. it shuts, gets shut in the door, it'll be half a crown. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very exciting. Where, where's David Dimbleby when you need him? We couldn't afford him apparently. Um, so yes, I can confirm the crown has arrived, which means we're, we're sort of one step closer to. Uh, uh, the um, the state opening of Parliament uh, actually happening. Um, uh, just finally, before I let you go, both go, gents, um, and to continue my my award-winning uh, royal coverage. Um, what what should we make of the royal significance of all this? Prince Charles uh, taking on this role uh, on behalf of the Queen. Danny, I'm just worried about the Queen. It obviously indicates, you know, if it says that she she can't do this, that's uh, serious. I you know we have to get ourselves used to that. She's the Queen's very old and. Uh, as she's, uh, you know, much loved by people, certainly by me. I think that's obviously worrying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I wrote about five, I think five or seven years ago, she should abdicate then because she was very old. And it was very difficult carrying on doing it. And, every, and you know, sense of duty, etc., means that she can't. But it would have been nicer, I think, if she'd been allowed to abdicate and Charles could have been doing this for a few years already now. But it is what it is.
Daniel Finkelstein and David Ivanovich there giving us their take on the news. And you can read them in the Times every week. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, we unpack the state opening of Parliament of 1952. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yes, let's go back to the Queen's very first state opening of, of Parliament in 1952. Patrick Maguire is here, Times Red Box editor. Good morning. Good morning. This is the Queen's first speech unpacked. We're going back to November the 4th, 1952. It wasn't recorded or televised, so instead we got the brilliant impressionist Jan Ravens from Dead Ringers to record the speech for us, recreating actually the first time that anyone will have heard it since on the day, and only then if they were actually in the House of Lords at the time. This was the first time that Her Majesty had addressed Parliament as Queen. She'd signed and read the accession declaration during her first state opening of Parliament. I, Elizabeth, do solemnly and sincerely, in the presence of God, profess, testify and declare that I am a faithful Protestant and that I will, according to the true intent of the enactments which secure the Protestant succession to the throne, uphold and maintain the said enactments to the best of my powers according to law. Well, Patrick, it's something quite interesting. So I'm almost moving, listening to that, the Queen, as voiced by Jan Ravens, taking the oath of accession as the band starts playing God Save the Queen behind us, as Prince Charles arrives for the first time to, to stand in for his mother. Prince Charles, who was only four years old when his mother was giving this speech, it's a reminder of her remarkable longevity and their many decades of service. But talking about the Protestant succession there, there's also a sort of piquant historical resonance, given that we are in a country that whose uh, who's westernmost outpost, Northern Ireland, just elected Sinn Féin. Uh, the Republican Party, predominantly Catholic, almost exclusively Catholic rather, and it's a reminder of the tensions inherent in the in the crown and how much the country has changed since. Although, interestingly, for all the succession rules that have changed, for instance, uh, had Princess Charlotte been born before her brother, after the Perth Declaration in 2013, which we all remember, of course, she would have ascended to the throne first. You still can't be a Catholic and hold the British crown, although we do allegedly allegedly have a Catholic Prime Minister now. Uh, uh, lots of lots to unpack there. Um, we should. I should also just tell you, it's just started raining uh, here in Westminster, which is very much not part of the plan. Uh, I might have to move in uh, underneath Pathetic fallacy. Our, our gazebo here. Uh, now, obviously, the Queen only had to take uh, the accession oath once, but uh, th- let's take a listen then to um, uh, what she went on to say uh, in the Queen's speech back in 1952. 
my Lords and members of the House of Commons. On this first occasion, when I speak to you in person as your Queen, I gratefully acknowledge the sympathy which has been extended to me and my family from every part of the Commonwealth. By his selfless devotion to his duties as your Sovereign, my father set an example which it will be my constant endeavour to follow. I am well assured that my peoples everywhere will accord me that same loyalty and understanding which ever supported him in the service of his peoples. 70 years on, Patrick, uh, it, it, as you were just reflecting, a reminder of her extraordinary uh, service. We can see uh, pictures now of uh, Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge, arriving in the, uh, in the Houses of Parliament. Um, members of the Cabinet lined up on either side, members of the military uh, too. Uh, those pictures just coming in. And how interesting it is to see Prince William, her grandson, as we listen to those words about the Commonwealth according the Queen, the same loyalties that accorded her father, and for much of her reign it has, but there we see the man who has just returned from a tour of the Caribbean where he was harangued and barracked by national leaders and protesters, asking for self-determination, asking for an end to the sort of, uh, as they would call it, anachronistic constitutional settlement where you know these countries have independence, 15 of them, 15 Commonwealth realms, but are still ruled by the Queen, and she's probably the last monarch who will ever do that. It's interesting you talk about the Commonwealth. In that speech back in 1952, as a reminder, this is uh, as recreated by Jan Ravens, the uh, brilliant impressionist. The Queen went on to say she looked forward to visiting Australia, New Zealand and Ceylon, which of course is now Sri Lanka. She also hoped for an early end to the Korean War, which began in 1950 when North Korea invaded South Korea. My ministers are determined to make ever closer that cooperation with the other members of the Commonwealth and with the colonial empire, which must be the keystone of our policy. To this end, they have invited Commonwealth Prime Ministers to meet together this month to confer on vital problems of finance, commerce and economic policy. Uh, and uh, that conference that she was talking about, uh, Patrick, held by Winston Churchill to address Britain's declining economic and military influence. Back then it was concerned about the rise of the United States. Well, sub in Russia or China to that sentence and give or take a couple of countries from the caste list, particularly India, who, as we know, are not the most reliable partner in Britain and the West fight against Russia. The concerns are the same. And now we've left the European Union, you hear ministers like Liz Truss and Boris Johnson talk all the time about rejuvenating the Commonwealth, particularly as a defensive alliance, as much as an economic one. Look at AUKUS, the uh, nuclear submarine pact agreed last year. So, you know, as much as things change, I won't attack the French, as much as things change, the more they say the same. <laughs> uh, so uh, we move on from uh, having spoken about the Commonwealth to, to one of the, remember this is back in 1952, uh, the Queen's speech 70 years ago. Uh, you can hear in the background uh, the band just striking up again for God Save the Queen. With, I think this is actually Prince Charles now arriving uh, as the last, the last piece of the jigsaw, if you like, uh, for the, uh, the state opening of Parliament. The uh, motorbike outriders, uh, the uh, the royal standard on the uh, the front of the car. 
the reporter from GB News striding purposefully towards the... <laughs> to, to deliver the salute, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, Patrick, this is a big moment for Prince Charles. I mean, people have spoken before about the uh, the, the, the long wait, uh, to some extent, that he's had. Uh, but to be doing this knowing that his, his mother is is uh, is at home and would dearly love to be here. In many ways, it's a dress rehearsal for Charles's slimmed-down monarchy. You see, I think it's hugely significant that he's got Prince William at his right hand because if you read anything about Prince Charles, if you listen to his views on the future of the monarchy, this is the monarchy as he envisaged it, not the sprawling, extended and often embarrassing family, but a key yeah. uh, core. It's, it's just him and William, none of the, the carriages and Alive horses and all of the concerns of, exactly. of the nation. Much like today. Well, let's go back to 1952 then, because one of the most striking things, uh, sections of the speech, as delivered uh, by Jan Ravensworth, uh, was this passage uh, talking about NATO. My government will continue to take their full share in the work of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization as the bulwark of Western defense and the embodiment of the common aspirations of the Atlantic community. Within that community, and in every other way, they will seek to maintain the closest and most friendly relations with the government and people of the United States of America. Patrick McGuire there, I mean, it's, it's striking there. She's talking about uh, emboldening NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, formed just three years before in 1949, obviously in the wake of World War II. Yeah, I think we can safely say Keir Starmer is not going to withdraw the Labour whip from the Queen, <laughs> given that, uh, you know, full frontal defence of NATO. As you say, very interesting, we're still having these debates now and quite telling that this it's a Labour government who took us into NATO and the, the party is still consumed and paralysed by the same debates that Clement Attlee eventually won way back when. Talking of debates uh, which were raging in 1952 but continue today, uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, unity in Europe. It will be my government's aim to strengthen the unity of Europe. They will work in close association with our neighbours in Western Europe and give all possible support to their efforts to forge closer links with one another. My ministers will continue to work for the conclusion of an Austrian state treaty and for a fair and equitable settlement of the problem of German unity. Patrick, it's worth remembering, you know, clearly 1952, just seven years after the end of the Second World War. It was not until 1955, three years later, that Austrian state treaty, which was talking about re-establishing Austrian Austria as an independent nation was actually signed in Vienna. Yeah, questions of self-determination, partition, European cooperation looming very, very large, as you say, because the con the continent, you know, this wasn't just a, a debate about bureaucracy and economic policy then, it was the continent had been the crucible of the bloodiest war ever seen on planet Earth. And, you know, I don't need to labour the point about how those debates have a very urgent resonance in policymaking today. Uh, next up, a section of the speech from back in 1952, uh, which uh, could be, I imagine, almost word for word, uh, included in the speech we're about to hear. Let's take a listen to what the Queen had to say about trade. Active measures will be taken to strengthen the long-standing ties of friendship and of mutual trade between the United Kingdom 
and the countries of Latin America. I mean, well, we, we still hear from ministers of the importance of emerging economies in Latin America. I was going to say the Labour whip that she had restored with that statement about NATO, <laughs> given this Bolivarian uh, <laughs> Corbyn Easter line about Venezuela, she's had it taken straight back off her. But yes, Britain's uh, free trading ambitions still... Uh, so, you know, it's that old cliche, that old Neil Atchison cliche about having lost an empire and trying to find a role. Obviously, Britain still has an empire. The wind of change isn't... Midlands' wind of change isn't quite blowing across Africa at this point, but that very transitional feel to this speech and we find ourselves in a similar position and now. I suppose the transition of her becoming uh, queen mm. at a very young age it was a time of renewal and change and that's what she just was just like her reflecting. son a 20 something son who is uh, climbing the steps into parliament now yeah absolutely right uh, well let's um, let's jump ahead now there's lots of talk about um, Britain's relationship with Africa too and clearly uh, the evolution of, of the uh, empire there uh, but let's jump ahead because this is one of the most striking sections this was the uh, the Queen's speech back in 1952 as voiced for us by uh, Jan Ravens from uh, dead ringers. Let's, let's listen to what she had to say about the economy. My Lords and Members of the House of Commons, my government will proceed resolutely with the task of placing the national economy on a sound foundation. They will not hesitate to take any further steps necessary to hold and improve the more favourable position now reached in our overseas payments. My ministers will encourage all engaged in agriculture, mining and industry to cooperate in increasing productive efficiency and thus to produce at lower cost the goods needed at home and by the export trades. In the interests of the employment and the standard of living of my people, my government will persevere with measures to curb inflation and to reduce the heavy load of government expenditure. Patrick, that could be just taken from today. Concern about uh, eco solid economic foundations, efficiency, improving productivity, levels of unemployment and curbing inflation. Curbing inflation, that's the big one, I'm sure. Uh, well, Kit Malthouse on the broadcast around this morning, of course, stressed that this wasn't a budget, but I'm sure we'll hear uh, similar words on the cost of living from uh, the Prince of Wales today. It's also interesting, when you listen to the Queen, the number of political ideologies and economic orthodoxies that she's had to ventriloquise over the years and the things that governments put into her mouth. It's a reminder of the sort of slightly strange constitutional spectacle <laughs> this is. She must have thought over, over the years, well, not this again. Well, it's like uh, in, in 20, I think it was 2018, when Theresa May's Queen's speech included a ban on psychotropic drugs or something. <laughs> yeah, the Queen. Uh, oh, and, the and famously, uh, my government will introduce a charge on plastic bags, <laughs> uh, which is also... She's never touched a plastic bag. Of course, Prince Charles, terrified of clinking. Film, so. <laughs> uh, this is Matt Chorley on Times Radio with Patrick Maguire, uh, Times Redbox editor. We're looking back at the Queen's very first state opening of Parliament, as voiced up by Jan Ravens uh, from Dead Riggers. Let's take a listen now to what she had to say about one of the key issues of the day in 1952, housing. A steadily increasing number of houses will be built under my government's programme. Uh, 
Patrick, of course, in the wake of World War II, housing, a massive issue. It has been ever since. I've been looking at the numbers. In 1952, there were 197,000 homes built in England, most of them by councils. It peaked in 1968 at 352,000. It's been on a downward trend pretty much ever since. Last 10 years or so, bumping around between 100 and 200,000. And last year, and clearly the pandemic will have played a part in this, but last year, there were 175,000 homes built in England, compared to 197,000 in 1952. Yeah, and to give uh, the government about which the Queen slash Jam Ravens is talking here a degree of credit, uh, Harold Macmillan was the minister. Churchill gave the task of building 300,000 houses, uh, council houses a year to. And while he never quite smashed that target, he did ramp up housework building in a way no Tory government has quite managed since. Um, and only in Michael Gove's wildest dreams will he emulate that. Um, I'm not sure uh, this government had uh, Churchill's government had a planning algorithm and uh, <laughs> a planning algorithm WhatsApp group to deal with. But uh, if it did, Macmillan would have had a much harder job, I think. There are so many parallels uh, to, to what happened uh, back in 1952 to today. There was talk of the supply of electricity in Scotland that was going to be taken over by the Secretary of State. Uh, talk of reforming schools. We might hear a bit of that later on. Fishing too. That remains a big political hot topic, albeit not a massive uh, economic one. Um, references to national insurance of course back then it was talk about increasing the benefits of national insurance today is the increase in the uh, the national insurance uh, contributions that everyone's having to make the increase in tax essentially the welfare state uh, the then, welfare very much in its in infancy then and the idea of it being more generous was seen uh, as uh, quite popular I suppose let's uh, let's just finally uh, listen to and Blimey, how many times she's had to do this since? Uh, this is Jan Ravens as the Queen delivering the, the wind-up, if you like, uh, the peroration of the state opening of Parliament. Let's take a listen to that. Other measures will be laid before you in due course. I pray that the blessing of Almighty God will rest upon your councils. And uh, many other measures laid before us uh, in the 70 years since, Patrick. Uh, yes, although I'm not entirely sure this government is going to be quite as energetic uh, as to justify that promise from uh, from Prince Charles today. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's, I mean it's the, the main takeaway from this is just, uh, as you were saying, the more things change. Chance. Exactly. I, I won't get you to do the fetch. Um, uh, that was uh, the Queen's first state opening of Parliament unpacked. Massive, massive thanks uh, to Jan Ravens for that extraordinary uh, impression, embodiment of the Queen, a young Queen uh, back in 1952. They should get her in the House of Lords. Uh, exactly. Maybe she could have done it instead of, uh, instead of Prince Charles. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? <laughs>